Open doors, they're important. I'm thankful for Jimmy Hunt helping us with just uh, introducing this idea of open doors, which I see clearly in the text that we're going to be looking at today from Acts chapter 28. And you see the title on the screen there is Open Doors or Open Doors. I had a bit of a dilemma. Uh, you may not know this, but the last part of a sermon to be finished is the title. You know, it, it, maybe it's kind of irrelevant, but if people are looking for it online, we may you know, be looking for a particular title. Well, I look back through some of Pastor Eric's as he's led us through this series on Fulfill the Calling, the study of Acts, and it's helping us understand what is the mission of the church? What is the calling that Jesus has for our church? And how is it that we will go about fulfilling that specific mission? And so as we've journeyed through here, uh, there have been a series of messages over the last 13, 14 weeks. He asked me several weeks ago if I would take August the 22nd and wrap this up. So I'm excited and thrilled about the honor to be able to do that, to bring the last message in this series. But as I look back through his on Acts 14, the title of his message was Open Doors. What am I going to do with that? So that's halfway through the book of Acts. I went all the way to the end of the book of Acts. I just doubled mine and said, open doors or open doors. That's, that's not really true. It is because there are two distinct open doors or two types of open doors that I see in the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 28. Now, <clears throat> when I said open doors or when Jimmy mentioned open doors, probably an image came to mind for you. And one of two images came to mind. Maybe I can explain it this way. Uh, like the little boy who found himself in trouble with his mother. Mom and dad had just finished a freshly uh, poured cement driveway, and it was beautiful. The contractor had just finished all the work and posted some signs outside. The little boy was excited because he had just recently learned to read. And he was outside. His mom looked out the window. She was astonished at what she saw. She went running out the door and said to the boy, stop, stop. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he pointed to the sign. And the sign said, wet cement. And he did. Uh, you know, he, he was reading the sign. Well, in the same way that he made a distinction between verbs and adjectives. He read wet as a verb. Wet probably from the contractor was meant to be an adjective. Well, when I use this title, open doors are open doors, I want you to know that those same two distinctions can be made with open doors in Acts chapter 28. And so before we get to uh, this particular text or before I begin reading it, I want us to back up just a little bit and I want to remind you, I promise I won't preach all the previous sermons leading up to this, but I want to do a quick run through of the book of Acts for you to kind of bring you to where we are in this journey. And we're at the last chapter, but if you go all the way back to the beginning of Acts, what we discover is a key verse that's really important. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it kind of maps out an outline for you for the book of Acts. You see, Jesus had already given the disciples the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. He said to them, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then he gave us this promise. He said, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Well, what he meant by that, I'll be with you always to the end of the age, was that he said if he went away, another one would come. That would be the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, we find the disciples gathered together in Jerusalem waiting because Jesus said, go there and wait. And what they were waiting for is what would be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Jesus said, you're not going to have to do this great commission. You're not going to have to fulfill this great commission in your own strength. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In Acts chapter 2, we find Peter preaching at Pentecost, 
And all of a sudden, we find that this is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit comes in the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Miracles take place. People hear the gospel. People from many nations hear the gospel in a language that they understand. 3,000, the Bible says, believe and are saved that day. They are baptized. Acts chapter 2 tells us that the believers begin meeting daily in the temple courts. And from house to house, they are meeting for the purpose of the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for prayer. These four functions become consistent with how these believers begin to function as a gathered group of the body of Christ. Acts chapter 3 and following 3 and 4, we find Peter and John continuing to preach about Jesus, crucified for the sins of mankind and risen to new life to forgive our sin. We find them being persecuted for that, being arrested, put in jail. We find them responding, saying, hey, we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. They continue to preach about Jesus. Persecution continues. The church has some other situations that they have to deal with. The first deacons are appointed in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 7, we find the first martyr, Stephen, gives his life for the cause of Christ. He does that under the watchful eye of a man named Saul of Tarsus. Uh, This man is on a mission. He believes he's on a mission for God. He's on a mission to stamp out these people known as followers of Jesus. We'll hear more about him in just a moment. Acts chapter 8 is the second movement in the book of Acts. All the things that happen in Acts chapter 1 through 7 take place in Jerusalem. Well, now we find that the church, because of persecution, is now scattered and spread. Christians are moving out of the city of Jerusalem and out into the outer lying regions of Judea and Samaria. That's where Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, in Jerusalem and then in Judea, Samaria. Chapters 8 through 12 take place in that outer ring around Jerusalem. It's there that we encounter in Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul. But he was then Saul of Tarsus, traveling on the road to Damascus on his mission to stamp out these Christians. And he encounters the living Lord Jesus Christ. He's confronted by Jesus. He's called by Jesus to follow him. There on that road to Damascus, his life is changed in a moment. And he commits himself to the mission of Jesus, of going in the world and making disciples. Radically transformed. Following passage of Scripture, that's Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, we learn about Cornelius' vision. We understand that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people. The gospel is for all mankind. And that becomes clarified in Acts chapter 10 and following By the time we get to Acts chapter 13, we are at that last ring where we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and now the uttermost parts of the world. What we find is a church that is on mission, a church that is sending people out as missionaries and sending them out for the purpose of taking the gospel to other cities and for the purpose of planting new churches in other places. We see a movement of multiplication that takes place. Paul is kind of the central character. His name was Saul. Jesus changed it to Paul. And here we find him leading these mission journeys, at least three of them. Gary Sanders would say four of them. I'll let you talk to Gary about that fourth missionary journey, all right? But at least three of these missionary journeys we find the Apostle Paul leading uh, in these last 14 chapters of Acts. So that leads us to where we are today. If you've been following Um, the pastor's um, sermons on Wednesday nights. This past week, he took us through Acts 27. You know that in Acts 26, Paul was arrested and he appealed to Caesar. In Acts 27, he's making his way on to Rome. And and there is um, a storm. Uh, This ship runs aground. 
and uh, they've got a crisis. It's a train, no, it's not a train wreck, it's a shipwreck. They have a shipwreck, okay? So the ship comes apart, and the Apostle Paul believed Jesus. Jesus had told him previously, you will testify of me in Rome. And the Apostle Paul was confident that God would deliver him to Rome so that he might bear witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He believed Jesus. He told the men on board the ship, no lives will be lost, and they were not. Men either swam to shore or they floated on debris that was in the water, but they all survived and they made it. That brings us to today. Now, you might be disappointed if you are expecting that, hey, we're going to find the conclusion to the story. What happens to Paul? Well, you're not. A little bit like a movie that's set up for a sequel that you're going to find out what happens in the next one. This chapter ends telling us very little about what happened to Paul as he appeals to Caesar in his trial and those kinds of things. And there's a reason for that. The book of Acts is not about Paul. The book of Acts is about the church. The book of Acts is about our marching orders. It's the story of the birth of the church, how it was established and then extended and then expanded to the far reaches of the globe. And so what we learn about today are the actions that were taken by the Apostle Paul. So as we begin in chapter 28 for this concluding message in this series on fulfilling the calling, I want to show you five open doors, open doors as an adjective that the Apostle Paul encounters along his journey. Look at the, uh, verse 1 and 2 as we begin. <clears throat> Once safely ashore, when we learned that the island was called Malta, we learned that the island was called Malta, the local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit fires and took us all in since it was raining and cold. The first open door that happens here is the door of kindled fires. Recognize that the, the people that were residents of Malta, this small island, certainly would have known that with these Roman centurions on board, um, or these guards that were on board, that these were prisoners on this ship, on this sailing vessel. And they would have given them every reason to step back and to pause about reaching out to these people that were coming on shore. But they did not. It reminds me that it's most of the time true that natural disasters bring out the best in people. You know, when there are disasters that take place, you generally will see a response of compassion of people willing to help. I know there are exceptions to that, and there are people that do bad things during natural disasters. But by and large, a crisis gives opportunity for people to show kindness. That's what these people did. They kindled fires for them. A fire has a way of creating a warm welcome. And it says, gather around, take advantage of the benefit of the warmth of this fire. These men were coming out of the water. They were wet. It was raining and cold, and they were warmed by the fire. First open door was a kindled fire. You have the opportunity to be an open door to other people as you kindle fires for them, helping them experience welcome when they are strangers in a new place. The second open door is just immediately following. Look at verse 3. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. Now we've got another crisis. There's a snake on this firewood and it attaches itself. It bites the apostle Paul. Again, Paul believed God. How in the world is this an open door? I would say to you this is an open door because of the reaction of the people. You can almost hear the audible gasp. <gasps> as that snake latches itself onto his hand. 
The people understand that this is a poisonous snake. They are expecting Paul to die. They are watching, waiting to see what's going to happen, and nothing happens. They surmise among themselves, oh, this guy must have been some murderer, some big criminal. And Justice, this Greek goddess that they give reference to in the text, is probably exacting revenge. Didn't exact revenge on him by taking his life in the sea, but is taking his life now. Nothing happens. When the Apostle Paul doesn't fall over dead, they make another assumption. He must be a god. It sounds a little bit like Paul in Lystra in Acts 14, where there were some people who attempted to worship him, thinking that he was a god because of miracles that had been performed. Not the case. The reason I would say this is an open door because it leads to him being noticed. Out of all the people that are gathered around the fire, all the attention is now on the Apostle Paul. And God has garnered their attention by looking at him and noticing there's something different about him. Verse 7 tells us that there is a man named Publius. Publius is the leader of this island. He's the chief on this island. And he takes note of Paul and determines that he wants to get to know him better. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, Now in uh, the area around the place where the, was the estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. He invited Paul and his cohort to come with him and to stay with him. He wanted to learn from him. In that setting, the apostle Paul discovers that Publius's father is lying sick with a fever and dysentery. If you look to Acts chapter 19, verse 11, one of the things you discover about the Apostle Paul is that uh, Luke says that God had given him the ability to perform unusual miracles. The Apostle Paul walked in and laid hands on this man, prayed for him, and healed him. Consistent with that kind of event, people began to talk. Word spread. All the other people in the island began to hear there's a man here who can heal sicknesses. So the Apostle Paul begins providing healing for people. Now, the Apostle Paul is on mission. He is aware. He's alert. God has opened his eyes to the doors, to open doors that are for his glory and for his purposes. That's what God does for us. God opens our eyes or he shows us open doors for his purposes and for his honor that only he can open. So God opened this door of kindled fires. God opened this door, even of this opportunity of the snake bite, to open this door for Publius to take note of Paul. And as Paul begins providing this moment of healing, I can only imagine that he was clear in understanding or helping people to understand that they were being healed in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who had died for them, who was buried, and who rose again. The only one whose name they can call for salvation. I'm certain that Paul was clear in that moment. You know, when people receive the blessing of God, when we receive the grace of God, something happens on the inside of us. We are transformed from the inside out. And I want you to note the response of the people who experience the grace of God in their life. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, so they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Your text may say they supplied everything that we needed. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was thinking about this moment, the generosity of these people who had supplied their needs. Remember, their ship was torn apart. All of their supplies are gone. They have nothing. And these men and women supplied all the needs for the rest of their journey. 
I wondered as he was penning their letter to the believers in Philippi, if he was thinking about this moment when he wrote what we know as Philippians 4.19. It says, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply your needs. There's another open door that follows. The Bible says uh, in verse 11, after three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island. So they, they were there during <clears throat> this coldest part of the winter and remained there through the winter. And now the uh, weather had changed and it was time for them to begin to make their journey onward. And the Bible goes on to list the different places, the coastal towns where they stopped. And then he identifies that they arrived at a place called Puteli. Verse 14 says, there we found brothers and sisters and were, I don't know what your text says, mine says, invited to stay a week with them. You see the open door? God has opened another door. He has provided for Paul all along the way. He has promised Paul, you're going to Rome, you're going to testify on my behalf. God opened the door there for him. If you continue reading the text, you'll understand that word went ahead to Rome that, hey, Paul is now in Patelli, and there are others who begin to make their way to other towns between Patelli and Rome. They are inland now, and they are traveling by land all the way into Rome. Paul sees these other believers as they come to meet him, and as he spends time with fellow Christians. I want you to see what the Bible says about Paul as a result of that. In verse 15, it closes with this. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. Great reminder to me that every leader needs to be encouraged. It's a reminder to me that God did not make us to live in isolation. He did not make us to go through this life alone. The Apostle Paul needed other people with him on his journey. And as he met these other believers along the way, he gave to them, I am certain, I'm sure that he taught them while he was with them. But I want you to just take note, the Bible says he took courage from them. He realized he was not alone. God had not abandoned him. God saw his need. If you're a leader in this church, it's not because you have it all together and you don't need anybody else. If you're a leader in this church, you have needs. And you have needs for others to come alongside of you and encourage you. I'm so thankful to God for the men and women that make up this body of Christ who come alongside of leaders here simply to encourage, to cheer them on and to help them stay in the game and keep pressing on. The Apostle Paul benefited from this open door of other believers. And the last open door I want you to see is in the um, verse 16. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Now, this is not insignificant. He was allowed to be on his own. Now, he could have been put into a huge group or a huge population of other people, but God allowed him to be able to be alone with one person guarding him at a time. You know, we figure out uh, as we read through Philippians that perhaps it was in this setting where Paul makes known that the gospel has spread through the entire Roman Praetorian Guard. We can see through these actions that Paul certainly had garnered the favor of God, but he'd also garnered the favor of these Roman guards that cared for him or that were the custodians of his well-being to get him to Rome. Open doors, they're all around us. It's the blessing, the favor of God 
That's one set of open doors I see in Acts 28. And they're important for us to know that God does go ahead of us. And he shows us, he allows us to see the open doors that he has for us. But they're for his purposes and for his honor. But there's another set of open doors. And those are doors that are verbs. You see, we open doors that we can open. And we do those things for God's purposes and for God's honor. Look at verse 17. I want you to see what Paul did when he arrived at Rome. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or our customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. The very first thing that Paul did when he got to Rome, settled in, and in three days, he opens the door. He opens the door of his dwelling, and he invites in all of these Jewish leaders. You see, God had given him a door that it was within his control to open. And he did it, and he did it on purpose. He did it so that he could invite these leaders in. He could build a relationship with them. He could begin engaging them, getting to know them, and allowing them to know him. He told them his story. He told them what had happened, how it is that he had come to Rome. And he told them, he goes on to tell them why he's in these chains. He has an opportunity to tell them about his journey and about the deliverance that God has brought about in his life. Now, these men respond to him and say to him, we've not heard any reports about this particular situation that you're talking about from our Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. But we have heard about these people, this sect, these followers of Jesus, and we're curious to know more. You know what the Apostle Paul did? Look in your Bible to verse 23. After arranging a day, after setting an appointment on the calendar, after setting a time with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded about the kingdom of God and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Wow, the apostle Paul recognized that these guys are curious. They want to know more. And so he sets an appointment and says, look, on this day and this time, you guys show up here and we are going to meet and we're going to talk. The Bible actually says that he, it was the, they, they came to the place of his dwelling. They came to his house. He opened his door and invited them in. And when he invited them in, he began to persuade them with what? Well, the Bible says he used the, the law of Moses and he used the prophets. Now, I don't know what he said we could only speculate what he might have said, but I know he didn't have a this was your life track or a four spiritual laws track to give them and say this has everything in it you need. He opened the Old Testament scriptures which they would have known and loved. Perhaps he said to them, look what Genesis 3.16 says. Uh, this, this prophecy, this foretelling that there would be one who would strike the heel of this one that would be born, but that this one would also with that heel crush the head of the serpent. This foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. 
Maybe he spoke to them about Abraham and the covenant that God had made with Abraham and said, Abraham, through you, through your seed, the entire world will be blessed. And then maybe he began to help them see that individual was Jesus who fulfilled that prophecy. Maybe it was that he turned to Isaiah 7, 14 and said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Maybe that's where he began talking to them from. I don't know where he went, but I know that he used the law of Moses and he used the prophets to reason with them about who Jesus is and about what Jesus came to do. That he had lived a sinless life, that he had died a cruel death, that he had been buried and three days later he rose again so that they too might have life. Perhaps he turned to Isaiah 53. Listen to these words and see if you think these words might have been persuasive. Had the apostle Paul said this to them, who has believed what we have heard and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn, we regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. His punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. All, we all have turned our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Perhaps that's where the apostle Paul made his appeal to these men that this Isaiah writing 600 plus years before the birth of Jesus is talking about Jesus, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the promised one. He is the one who has fulfilled this prophecy and he is the one who opens a door for you to receive life. Perhaps he turned to Joel too. And he said, look what the prophet Joel wrote. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe the apostle Paul appealed to them to call upon the name of Jesus and find salvation. And when he did, the Bible says that some of them were persuaded. Some of them believed. Some of them became followers of Jesus that day. Their lives were transformed because the apostle Paul took a step to open the door of his home and dare invite someone in that he might persuade them with the word of God, that Jesus is the very one for whom they were seeking. Well, they didn't all agree. Disagreements broke out among them when he began talking about the resurrection. He went on to talk with them about what Isaiah said about the hardness of hearts of the men of Israel. And he challenged them to understand that the gospel would not be restricted to Israel, but that it would go forth to the Gentiles because the Gentiles would receive this good news. Praise God. We are the recipients of that good news today. Now I want to show you one last open door, the last two verses of this text, uh, verses 30 and 31. I just want you to see this final open door. 
Paul, who stayed two years in his own rented house and welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We don't know why his trial was delayed. We don't know what held that up. There seemed to be no rush to get him before the courts. But Paul saw that as an open door. And he opened the door. He rented his own place, stayed there for two years, and he opened the door of his house. The same verse word used here for received or welcomed is the same one used in verse 7, where he says, we were received and welcomed with great hospitality. The Apostle Paul opened the door of his home and he continued to invite people in over those two years. And inside of his home, what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught about the things that were pertaining to Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission. Go into all the world. He's gone into Rome. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to be obedient, to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in this moment or in these two-year window of time. He opens his door and invites people in. The kingdom of God, what is that? The kingdom of God is the kingdom that belongs to God. It's the kingdom where there's a king. The king is the Lord Jesus Christ and the king reigns supreme. The kingdom of God is where Jesus rules and reigns. Is he king of your heart and your life? Does he rule as Lord of your life? Does he reign over you? You see, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we say, along with the Apostle Paul, my, my life is not my own. My life is yours. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who lives his life through me. I give up the right to my own life. I submit myself to him. I am his subject to do what he's called me to do. I commit myself to the mission of Jesus. What was the mission of Jesus? Jesus said he came into the world to seek and to save those who were lost. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Jesus came that he might win over those of us who are far from God, that we might find new life in him. Jesus was on a mission of making disciples. Jesus chose, called these men to come with him. And as they followed after him, he said to them, now I want you to go and do the very same thing that I've done for you. I have made you my disciple. You are to go in turn and make other disciples. And that's exactly what he was doing in this moment. He is teaching about the kingdom of God. How does he do it? With all boldness. He's in the confines of his own house and he is hindered by no man. Hindered by no one. My question for you today is what hinders me? What hinders you from being fully committed to the mission of Jesus and making ourselves available to him to join him on this journey of making disciples? Many of you looking out across this room and many of you that are online right now, I know you are already there you're already engaged in making disciples who make disciples of others. Praise God. Our church cares about that. I'm not sure what doors you see available to you right now or open to you, but I want to specifically call out three doors I want to ask you to consider. 
What is your need to open or your responsibility to open? The first one is pretty simple. It's the door of salvation. It's the door that says, I understand that I have sinned. I understand that my sin has separated me from God. I understand that I need a savior. There's never been a time in your life when you have received Christ into your life. There's been this transformational moment where you uh, turned the authority of your life from yourself to Jesus, where you turned from your sin and yourself and you received him as your savior and Lord. That's the door you want to go through. It's the door you must go through for any other doors to matter. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says it this way, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. It's the picture of Jesus knocking at the door of our hearts. And he says, if any man will open that door, I will come in and be with him and he with me. If you've never called upon Jesus to forgive your sin and to give you new life today, I invite you to open that door by turning away from your sin, call on Jesus, ask him to do for you what only he can do and what you cannot do for yourself. It is to forgive your sin. He will give you new life. It is his promise to you. He came for that purpose. But there are two other doors. The second one is the door of discipleship. I would say to you that we are not made to be alone. You heard Jimmy Hunt talking about a moment ago his group and what this relationship with one another means in this group and how they are growing to become more like Jesus together as a group of men and spurring one another on to grow to become like Christ making disciples who are making disciples. If you are going it alone with Jesus, it's just you and Jesus and you're disconnected from the rest of the world, can I tell you that's not God's plan for your life? You need to take advantage of doors all over this building or all over this community where doors are open for you to be connected with a group of people who will help you grow to be like Jesus. The door of discipleship. The final door I would say to you is the door of your house the door of your house. How is it that you are using your home as a place for ministry? How is it that you've surrendered your house to the Lord Jesus and said, my house is your house. Whatever you want to do here, God, I want you to do. I'm going to do like the Apostle Paul. I'm going to open the door and I'm going to invite people in. And while we're here, we are going to have intentional conversations about Jesus. The only hope that any of us can ever have I was talking with someone after the last worship hour and she said, you know, I think I'm going to do that at work. Yes. Great. Great idea. So don't limit this to the door of your house. Again, some of you are opening a door in this building and saying, I'm going to lead a group in this building for God's glory. Amen. Praise God. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your camper. Maybe it's your pup tent. I don't, whatever it is that God's given you, uh, use it. You know, the word for door is also the word portal. It may be the portal on your computer. You recognize that um, you, during this day and age with Zoom, have the opportunity to connect with people literally around the world. I'm not sure which door, home, office, computer, tent, camper, RV, whatever you've got, I invite you to open it just like the Apostle Paul did. We've been working in Southeast Asia for several years now. I had lunch with Kurt Breland the other day, and he was telling me that we now have uh, at least four Um, families who are believers in this unengaged, unreached people group that we've been working with for more than six years. I don't know how many years now. And he said, just out of the blue, he said, and one of those people are opening the door 
of their house and inviting others in so that they could begin to have Bible studies together. I said, wait, tell me about that. I'm preaching on open doors this Sunday. I need to know about that. It was a beautiful picture of someone who just naturally realized, what should I do with my home? I should open my door and invite others in. Let me encourage you to use whatever God has given you. It may be your desk in your workplace. It may be your computer portal. Use what God has given you to gather a group of two or three or four or five people around you. Form authentic relationships. Invest in those people. During the month of September, October, November, I'll be having at least three opportunities to train people to do this very thing. I want to invite you to open one of those doors today. If you need to pray to receive Christ, you need someone to help you with that, would you text Jesus to the number that's on the screen? Just text that number. Just text Jesus. There are people there who will help you. Right now, they'll do that. If you're not a part of one of the groups of our church, would you just type the word connect to that same number and there will be some folks who will help you get connected with a group of people that will help you grow to be like Jesus. Looking out in this room, I see many of you, I know many of you are already connected to groups and you are growing and I am so thankful for what God's doing there. But if you'd be willing to take a step to say, I want to apply this today by saying, how could I open the door on my house, workplace, or other place to connect with other people? I will make sure you get an invitation to be a part of some training that will help you know how you could take your next step in doing that. I'm going to ask you to open one of those three doors today or open another door that God has already shown you today that you need to take responsibility. There are some doors that God opens for us. There are some doors that God gives us the opportunity to open for ourselves. Today, I invite you to respond as God leads you. Our praise team is going to lead us in this closing song. I'll be here at the front. If there are any of you that have a response that you need to make, you need Christ, I'll be glad to help you with praying to receive Jesus right here. If there's a response you need to make, you respond as God leads you this day.